Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. And thank you all for being with us today, those here in our sanctuary and those of you watching online. We really appreciate your being with us uh, this morning. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper communion today. So just a bit of a heads up, those of you who are at home, if you've got uh, some bread or juice, those of you here in our sanctuary, you probably picked up one of these prepackaged cups on the way in. If not, you can go out to uh, one of the doors and grab one of those. And we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper in about 25 minutes uh, from now. I want to mention also, uh, for those of you who are with us, if you open your bulletin, you've got the Hey, I'm Here card attached to the uh, bulletin as a perforated strip. For those of you watching online, there's a tab you can click. We really appreciate it if you fill that out. Just let us know that you're here. But it's especially important if you have a prayer request. We really do uh, gather and read those. They're gathered together on Monday, are distributed to prayer teams and our staff, and it's really one of our greatest privileges as a church to pray with you and to pray for you. Well, we are continuing today with our theme for the year that we've called One Story. We're looking at the unity of the Scripture, the unity of the Bible, how it all fits together. Some people have the attitude that if you're Christians, all you need is the New Testament. You can just discard and discount the Old Testament. But that's not the case. God chose to give us 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And as we've gone through the entirety of, of the Bible, taking a big picture look, at the books of the Bible, we're seeing how they all fit together. To me, this is one of the most, uh, the, one of the greatest pieces of evidence that the Bible, Scripture, is really inspired by God. Because it was compiled over a period of about 1,400 years by about 40 different authors from different walks of life in different regions, and yet it fits together like a divinely crafted puzzle. Now, we have looked at the Old Testament, we've looked at the Gospels of the New Testament, and now we're at the letters of the Apostle Paul, and today we come to the beautiful little New Testament book of Philippians. There's some background for 
the church at Philippi found in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul and his friend Silas uh, were, were drawn by the Holy Spirit to the region of Macedonia in one of its chief cities, Philippi. And while they were there, <clears throat> miracles were done. Paul cast the demon out of a young girl who told fortunes, and as a result, he and Silas were thrown into prison. They're in prison. They began singing hymns to God. An earthquake came, and their, their chains fell off. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful account there in Acts chapter 16. But this is Paul's first experience in Philippi. He was imprisoned on his first visit. Now, many years later, he's in prison again in Rome, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. The theme of the book of Philippians, where some of the themes are, are love for one another, the importance of unity as Christians, having joy in Christ, and Paul's writing all this while he's chained in a Roman prison. Philippians has one of the best-known verses in the New Testament, and it is a verse that has been, been written on more tennis shoes than any other verse in the Bible. Do you know what it is? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've seen that, you've seen it too, on basketball players, tennis shoes, athletes of every type. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Let's take just a moment and understand that very important verse in its context. The Apostle Paul wasn't saying, I can run a three-minute mile through Christ who strengthens me. He was in prison. And as he's writing to the church at Philippi, he writes, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, even in the hardest circumstances of my life, I have learned the lesson of contentment. I can do all things. I can be content in Christ in any circumstance because he gives me the strength to do that. That's the context for this very important verse. But the theme of the book, the great theme of the book of Philippians is very simply Jesus, Jesus Christ. There are 104 verses in the book of Philippians, and I think 61 of those mention Jesus by name, title, or pronoun. The book is all about him. It's focused upon him. And the passage Susan read just a moment ago is found in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to focus on that today. We're going to focus on what Paul's teaching us about the importance of knowing Jesus uh, better throughout our lives. But let me set it in its context first. Philippians chapter 3 begins with these words. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, let me just point something out here. The Apostle Paul says, he writes, finally, and he's going to go for two more chapters, only halfway through the book. And I point that out just in case you should be listening to a sermon one day and someone should say, in conclusion, and go another 15 minutes. There's biblical precedent for going a little longer than we thought we would at first. So Paul says, finally, and he begins warning the Philippians about people who had crept into the church and were teaching that 
adherence to certain Old Testament laws were necessary in order to truly be a Christian. And Paul spoke against this in the strongest possible terms. These were folks that were telling the Philippians they had to continue to observe Old Testament laws such as circumcision. And Paul uh, refers to these people who put their confidence in the flesh, in uh, human works, religious rituals, fleshly activities. And the Apostle Paul writes in response to those, um, look, if anybody thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He writes, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was at the top of the religious hierarchy of his day. He goes on to say, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he's saying? What's he saying? He's saying, if you want to talk about religious accolades, good works, good deeds under the Old Testament law. I had all of that stuff. Paul was at the top of the religious hierarchy in his day in a time when the religious hierarchy was extremely influential in the culture and in the society. He was at the top of the religious order. But he goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I can't count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And now he's going to teach us about the importance of knowing Jesus. Now, that may raise a question. The first question is this. Didn't Paul already know Jesus? I mean, we talk about knowing Jesus as someone who has embraced his salvation has come to God by faith, right? Scripture uses the, the, uh, the word know or knowing the Lord in two ways. The first way is the way we often use it, knowing him by a new birth. For example, in John chapter 10 and verse 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. John 10 and verse 14 that you'll see on the screen. This is the way we often talk about knowing the Lord, isn't it? We say, oh, my, my friend went on that youth retreat and she came to know the Lord. Or I'm praying for a member of my family that they would know the Lord. We're praying they would recognize their sin and that Jesus died on the cross for that and they would receive his salvation. We sometimes call this being saved, being born again receiving the gospel, coming to faith in Jesus, to know the Lord. In John 17 and verse 3 that you'll see, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So to know the Lord is to enter this relationship with him, this eternal relationship because of what Jesus did on the cross, and to be saved. Now, not all people who think they know the Lord really do. Some of the most sobering words in the New Testament are Jesus' words, what he said on the day of judgment. Some people are going to come to him telling him everything they'd done for him, and he'll say, I never knew you. The most important decision that a person can make in this life is to receive by faith the salvation Jesus provided in his death on the cross and his resurrection and enter that eternal relationship with him whereby we know the Lord. If you've never done that, I 
urge you to make that decision to receive him as your Lord. Now, having said all that, I think Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is talking about a growing personal knowledge of the Lord for those who are Christians. In other words, for those who know him, to know him better, to know him more deeply. If you've been around our church for a little while, you've probably heard us say something like this when it comes to spiritual growth, that our goal is to know the Lord better and love him more. Paul in Philippians 3 is talking about knowing him better as a lifelong pursuit, a lifelong pursuit. And I want to say to you this morning, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how to do this, how Paul teaches us to do this, that there is no higher goal for your life. We've probably all got certain goals in life. Maybe it's to save a certain amount of money for retirement. Maybe it's to, to, to be promoted to a certain role in your organization. But there is not a greater goal in life than to know the Lord better and to love him more. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that. Again, you'll see on the screen now, uh, Philippians 3 and verse 10, where the Apostle Paul writes, that I may know him know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Did Paul already know the Lord? Of course he did. Paul came to know the Lord on the Damascus road when he was converted. Paul's talking about growing in a deeper, richer, more full relationship with the Lord. In the Old Testament, the person that we read about who, who perhaps knew the Lord better than any other human being on earth in the early chapters of the Bible was Moses. Moses was met by God at a burning bush. God revealed himself to Moses. Moses delivered the Israelites out of Egypt with great signs and wonders, and including the parting of the Red Sea. Moses received directly from the Lord the Ten Commandments to give to the people. And after all that, in Exodus 33, here's what Moses prays to God. Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses had a longing because he knew God to know him better, to know him more deeply, to have a richer knowledge of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants for you and me, for every believer. And that's what he's going to teach us about in this passage. What was included in Paul's lifelong pursuit of knowing the Lord? That's what I think he wants to teach us because several verses down in chapter 3, he's going to say to us, be imitators of me. So what does he teach us about knowing the Lord better? What was included in the Apostle Paul's lifelong pursuit, pursuit of a deeper, richer, fuller knowledge of the Lord? I'd like to look at five things today he points out in this chapter, the passage Susan read. Number one, sacrifice, the willingness to sacrifice. He writes in verses 7 and 8 these words, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now notice in those verses, the past tense, past tense, I counted as loss everything, and the present tense, I count everything as loss. When Paul came to faith in Jesus, he gave up his place in the religious hierarchy of, of the Jews. 
he counted that as loss. But he continues to count any gain in his life as loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, anything I have to give up to know the Lord better, I'll gladly give up because of the surpassing worth of knowing him. Sometimes in our growth as Christians, those of us, and I'm speaking to those who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received his salvation. Sometimes the Lord will call us in the process of our growth to lay something aside, a habit, uh, a form of entertainment, something we're doing. Maybe it's a practice, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's an attitude. It's something that's competing with a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not that we've got to lay it aside to earn our salvation. He's already provided that for us. We've already received his salvation. But as we grow in life, there are times God counts us to, calls us to count something we're doing as loss for the sake of Christ, for the sake of a deeper knowledge of him, that is of, of far surpassing worth over whatever we may have to lay aside. It's always a wise choice to obey the prompting, the leading of the Holy Spirit when he points out something that's in the way of a growing, deeper knowledge of Jesus. The willingness to sacrifice is one thing. Number two, What's included in Paul's pursuit of a deeper knowledge of Jesus? Growth and understanding. Understanding of the gospel. Verse 9 reads this way. Paul is saying, I'm willing, desiring to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, did Paul already have this righteousness? Did he already know the Lord? Of course he did. We've seen that. What's he saying? Paul knew the gospel already. In fact, the apostle Paul knew and understood the gospel, I think, better than any other human being alive on earth. Because Paul is the one God chose to give the revelation, the understanding of what the gospel really means to us. In the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, in this book, Philippians, the Apostle Paul is the theologian of the New Testament. He understood what it meant that Jesus died on the cross and through faith in him, the very righteousness of Jesus would be placed on our account. Paul understood that. He's not saying in verse 9, if you look at it again on the screen, that he is not saved. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What Paul is saying is that he wants to continually live out his life with the awareness of the gospel truth that his righteousness is not earned by adherence to the law, but it has come solely through his faith in Jesus Christ. That last phrase, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Think about it for a moment. That's just a, a one-phrase summary of the gospel. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You can't earn your righteousness with God. Paul knows that. He's teaching us that. 
It's only through faith in Jesus and what he's done. And what Paul is saying is in verse 9 is that he wants to so faithfully live out his life to the end of his days. That he is living in the gospel truth that his righteousness comes not from the law, but through his faith in Jesus. A growing knowledge of God, like Paul is pursuing, and he's calling us to pursue, is inseparably linked to a growing understanding of and appreciation for the gospel of Jesus. It's been a long time for me since I put my faith in Jesus and decided to follow him as Lord. I was a freshman in college when I think I made that definite decision. But I, I'm coming to learn every year the greater richness in this simple message that we call the gospel. The more we grow in our love for God, the more we, we are in awe at the fact that the Son of God would leave heaven and become a human being to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be credited with his righteousness and be adopted into his kingdom and share his inheritance and glory forever. It's an incredible thing. And Paul seems to be teaching us that in a growing knowledge of Jesus, there's the willingness to lay aside things that compete with that growing knowledge, and there's growth in understanding. Furthermore, and this one's not quite so exciting, Paul's praying to experience more of his power and suffering. He writes in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul had just written about Jesus' suffering in chapter 2 and one of the most marvelous descriptions of Jesus' work that's found anywhere in the Bible. I'm just going to read it to you, just these few verses from Philippians 2. Here's what he wrote. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him. Now what's Paul saying when he says, I want to become like Jesus even in his death. Paul's not going to be crucified to pay for anybody's sins. No one could do that but Christ. What Paul's saying is, I want, to, I want to imitate the way Jesus was, even in his death. The servanthood, the humility, the obedience to God, even to the point of death. Paul says, I want to imitate him in that. And further, he's saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to know that kind of power at work in my life. Is it any wonder there were such manifestations of the power of God through the Apostle Paul? He had a longing to experience that power increasingly. Knowing Jesus better. The willingness to sacrifice, to lay things aside. To grow in our understanding of the gospel. To desire to experience his power even to suffer for his glory. And then number four, 
pressing on in devotion to him. I love verses 12 to 14 of this passage. It's as if Paul is using an athletic image here when he writes these words about a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's not talking about earning his salvation. His salvation was secure. When he says, I'm not already perfect, he's saying, I've I've not reached a state of sinless perfection or perfect maturity. We all grow toward that in life. What he's talking about is this lifelong pursuit, the greatest of goals, the goal of knowing the Lord better, of loving him more increasingly throughout life. And he uses this image of pressing on. Now, some of you are athletes. Some have been athletes. Some of you are runners. Some of you are swimmers. And you know what it's like to press on. You're near the end of a race, and your mind tells your body to push harder, to push farther beyond your limits. When your body's ready to stop, your mind tells it to press on, to push ahead. That's the kind of imagery that the Apostle Paul is talking about in his spiritual life. I keep pressing on in my knowledge of the Lord. I want to know him more. And he says there are two parts to it. If we could have that verse back on the screen, that final slide. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straighting forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting certain things is important. Forgetting past accomplishments. The person who says, well, I'm okay as a Christian. I, I, I was the, the head of my Sunday school five years ago. I was on a committee in the church several years ago. Forget the past accomplishments. But sometimes we've got to forget something that I think is more significant for more people, and that is forgetting past failures. There are some Christians who, because of something in their past, find it very difficult to move forward in a close, personal, intimate relationship of love with Jesus Christ. Because Satan, whom the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren, often brings to mind some sin, some failure in your past. And it may be you've you've confessed it as sin, you've repented of it, you've turned, God's forgiven it, but it comes like a dark cloud over your mind at times, and it makes you feel condemned. This is the work of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, and the solution for that is the words the apostle Paul gave in verse 9, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When God says he removes our sins as far as east from west and remembers them no more, we have no right to bring them back. Sometimes a person will think, but you don't know what I did. You don't know what was done. The question in response to a comment like that is, what sin have you committed? 
that was not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. What have you done that his sacrifice was inadequate to atone for? Paul says, I press on. The Apostle Paul had a lot to forget. The Apostle Paul had been guilty of approving and calling for the, the murder of Christians, the early Christians. The passage uh, we read a moment ago, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, that's who he was. There's a need to forget things. But there's also a straining forward. And here there's that athletic imagery of a swimmer reaching out to, to, to touch the wall or a runner stretching across the finish line for the goal. People sacrifice to win a race, to win a prize. Beth and I watched a program I had never seen before several weeks ago called Alone. Any of you ever seen that? It's kind of like a survival type thing. And, and these people were put out in the Arctic way north of Canada in severe weather, way below zero weather, left alone with just some tools to try to survive. And so it was the end of this contest. And there were two people still out there who hadn't called in to be picked up. There was a, a man in one area, a woman in, in another. And it was over 70 days. They're trying to find stuff to eat and kill animals for food. And so the episode we watched, the guy, he finally won. This guy won. And he was so excited. And he won $500,000. And after tax, big chunk of that will go in taxes, but he was excited. You know, it's a lot of money for sure. What a great prize. Nothing like the prize Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is far greater a prize, a trophy. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, in a few verses later, is going to say, be imitators of me. So he's calling you and me to do the same thing. We come to know Jesus in our spiritual growth. He's calling us to keep growing, to keep pressing on throughout life, to know him better and to love him more. And Paul, I don't think Paul just invented this idea of pressing on to know the Lord. I think he got it from the Old Testament. You'll see a verse on the screen from the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament who wrote, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. I think that's a depiction of the outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon his people. And his spirit is poured out upon his people who long to know him better and to love him more. One final thing included in Paul's pursuit, lifelong pursuit of knowing God, and that was anticipation. Anticipation of what lay ahead. Philippians 3 and verses 20 and 21 um, and we, I, real, I will say finally here, really finally, this will be our last verse before communion. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul was a Roman citizen. He says, my citizenship is not in Rome. My citizenship is in heaven. And I'm living life awaiting from there a Savior Jesus who's going to transform this lowly body 
And one day, he'll make it like his glorious body. By the same power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Doesn't it seem like the older we get in life, statistically, we know we're getting closer to death. Not to be too morbid, but it's just statistically true. Doesn't it make sense that the older we get, the more we think about eternal realities? I had a, a financial um, management, a guy who works in wealth management. He told me, he, see, he said, I see this in a lot of older people, a lot of elderly people, that when they get in their final years, they become consumed with their money. And I thought, what? What an unbelievable thing. You're getting very close to leaving it all behind. And you get consumed with it. It seems like we should be distanced from the more temporal earthly things because none of it will go with us. As the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can take nothing out of it. You think... As people got closer to death, they'd think about eternal realities, eternity. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. He reflects upon it often as he does here when he recognizes where his true citizenship is, where his heart truly is, and he calls us to do the same. And I think his teaching leaves us with one question today. Those of us who know Jesus... Am I pressing on? Is this my lifelong pursuit? I'll know God better. I want to know my Lord better. I want to know the one I'm going to see and serve in all of eternity. I want to know him better so I can love him more in this life. Let's pray about that right now. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, we long to know you better and love you more. And I pray that you would help us today. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would work in us that greater desire that we see in your servant Paul. That you would enable us, as the scripture calls us to do, to be imitators of him in this. Lord, I also pray for those watching our service, perhaps here with us, who don't know you as Savior yet, who've never embraced the salvation you've provided, would you bring them today to the point of calling on your name and by faith receiving your saving work and your lordship in their lives? And we ask this in your great name. Amen.